Do you want to bring balance to all the wireless radiation fields in your life, including 5G? The Omnia Radiation Balancer is a small sticker you can stick on any device. It changes the state of the field and creates a new resonance between the wireless radiation and your energy field. On the link below you'll see all our testing results that show how the body responds excellently once you've made this change in your life. And here's a special offer for the Journey to Truth crowd. Just enter the word TRUTH in caps at the checkout for your 10% discount. It's easy to bring balance back to your body with the Omnia Radiation Balancer. This is totally unreal that this happened like in 1942 on this planet. You're listening to Journey to Truth podcast. Uh, welcome back. We just wrapped up episode 100 with Allison Co. And uh, it was amazing. It was one of our favorites. She is just one of the best to have on. And thank you all who supported us, all the new subscribers, new listeners. Um, it's really, uh, it's really exciting time for us. It's, it's an exciting time for everybody. This Secret Space Program Month that we're getting into now is something that. Honestly, when we started this podcast, that was one of the big things I wanted to cover, and we haven't covered it quite enough, I don't think. So I'm really excited to get some of these whistleblowers coming forward, telling their stories, and just diving deep and breaking this down and seeing what's really going on uh, below our feet and above our heads. And uh, what better way to start off with Tony Rodriguez? I don't know if uh, many of you guys know who he is or not, but he uh, he's been putting out a lot of great content. Um, he's been doing interviews with Jermaine and Scott, uh, One Foot in 5D. If you haven't heard him before, I recommend checking out some other interviews. Every time you listen to one of them, you find something new. Something new comes out of you, Tony. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. You can't just hear one interview to get the whole story, right? So many but, details, yeah. too. It's impressive. Thank you. That, you know, like, it, it's hard to say, you know, you're talking about 20 years, you're talking about 20, 30 years of life events that kind of add up, you know, that went through it when the experience itself was 20 years long and there's just no way to cover it in a couple hours. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's, that's sure. kind of the whole point of this. And I, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with William Tompkins mm -hmm. uh, and he, you know, he passed away disclosing this information and uh, who knows if there was any controversy around that death or not, but uh, this this whole month is kind of in dedication to him also uh, because oh. he was he was uh, I don't know. He was one of the leading figures in the disclosure of the SSP and what happened during World War Two. So it was really cool. William Tompkins had some of the most irrefutable um, evidence behind his case. So yeah. he was it was he had documents and he just had a lot of solid info that was hard for anybody. Anybody. There are people that their version of skepticism is actually avid. You know what I mean? Debunking. 
Yeah. And William Tompkins was kind of bulletproof in that regard. It's funny. There was a third party that was going to introduce. I was, I was going to get a talk with William Tompkins, like a phone call, you know, and we were just working out the details of it about 30 days before he passed away. And I was very, no. I was very heartbroken because I, you know, I, he had, I, I had heard that he wanted to speak to me and I definitely wanted to speak to him. He had a lot of things whenever you've been through, like, like I have a lot of memories back of my account of being taken on a 20 year tour. Some people call it a 20 and back. I was abducted and did a 20 year tour. I have a lot of that. I have maybe 70, 80% recall, but there's a lot I don't recall. And it's just like, uh, I, I explain it all. I explain it all the time. Like what was your seventh birthday? Like, you know, and you go, yeah. well, I don't know. And then, but if you met somebody else that was at your seventh birthday party and they go, Hey, remember that table we broke? And you go, Oh yeah, now I remember. And you would, <laughs> you would access even more memories that you had couldn't even access when I just asked you about your, your birthday. I'm sure. being co totally hypothetical, but what I'm saying is when somebody else opens a keystone memory, then it accesses more memories. Oh yeah. And so people yeah. that have gone through a tour, like it's natural for us to seek out each other, to try to, you know what I mean? To try to jog each other's memory. So everybody that I've talked to, I've talked to some of the other guys that have come forward. A lot of them have come forward and been harassed in their personal life and went back into, you know what I mean? Back into secrecy about it. But people that I talk to, everybody wants to talk to more people. And I was, it's really enjoyable to speak to somebody that has inside knowledge. Yeah. And William Tompkins was like, uh, you know, the granddaddy of that. So. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Was. Uh, it was, he was one of the big, he was crucial to my awakening. Uh, so it was, it, 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 it only, it's fitting. You know what? And right now with, it seems like all of these whistleblowers, it's just they're they're entering the collective consciousness. I'm seeing them pop up everywhere. The interview, more and more people are coming forward. More interviews are there. Um, our friends are interviewing you guys on their channels, but everybody's being guided to for some reason. Why? Because I think disclosure is on the horizon and this information needs to get into the collective. And that's it, why we're doing this. Yeah, It is. I feel we're very close to, and you know, you got to face it, like uh, the bar is set low. For disclosure most people are going yeah. to be shocked when they go hey there's bacteria <laughs> yeah you yeah. know like the, the bar the bar set very very low because they've done such a good job all along of hiding it so mm -hmm. we're, we're going to get a disclosure we're going to get a big one i think in the next you know some people say this year maybe that might be the year next four or five years i think within four or five years we're going to catch we're going to get we're going to get a big um you know an event but and then, you know, everything in the history of mankind has only taught me has taught me one thing, you know, like when you can kind of saw, follow a bar graph and kind of tell where it's headed, you know that we're going to get a pack of lies surrounded by disclosure. We're going to get a watery veiled. Uh, you know what I mean? We're going to see disclosure through sunglasses and we're not no, going to see the full light of disclosure. No yeah. question. No question about it. Um so let's just jump in then and explain to people. I mean, some people might be listening to this new to this information. We don't know. So uh, explain to people what is going on. There, there is a secret space program taking place and they have, they're taking people as children and unbeknownst to their parents. Uh, it's a very complicated procedure, um, not procedure, but you know what I mean? It's a very complicated technology. Yeah. Technology. Okay. So i uh I'm not a big, uh, I, I'm not a very uh, super proficient on all of the history of how it came about. But basically, I mean, to somebody that's never heard this before, it's going to be very hard to swallow. It's a, 
this is a hard ledge to 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 leap off of to believe but mankind has been our our uh recent history of mankind has been in space for about 100 years perhaps a little bit longer the nazis uh germany discovered space like world war 1 was about money and and power and world war 2 was about interstellar flight and the germans had discovered it through vers uh means of channeling with uh, with et um mm -hmm. you know telepathic communication over great distances with ets that gave them you know schematics to build a an interstellar craft and once that happened everybody wanted it war broke up the germans lost uh the territory but retreated to antarctica where they had created a base that had access to ruins and ancient technology from uh extraterrestrials that had left it there They've also went out into the solar system and colonized um, asteroids and planets, Mars, for instance, and colonies were set up, colony corporations have been set up throughout the solar system. And since then, the United States and most other countries are covertly joined, have covertly joined into that. And there are something like five space fleets that are from, that originated from Earth in our solar system that are manned by humans and certain extraterrestrials. We've traded technology with extraterrestrials, and one of them is a life extension technology, which is, from what I remember is very common through the cosmos. And one of the very first technologies that gets traded with a species that achieves interstellar flight. So in other words, you know, when you, you make a spaceship and you go out and make contact with extraterrestrials and find out that they're radically advanced and you wanna trade something for them, some goods or whatever it is, one of the first things they'll give you is the 20 and back or the 20 year tour technology so it's a life extension technology it's very widespread and what becomes of that is abuse and in my my personal experience i was greatly abused from it i was taken and basically used as a slave i was enslaved and it was free labor for them for these programs and i wasn't put through the front door of one of these programs i was ushered in the back door the side door of one of these programs personally just people that had access that wanted to run through some kids for themselves and that seems to be what's happened and i've found a great deal of evidence to support the things that i remember after i remember them and i i had a um so basically a 20-year tour is you're taken they they abduct you and this is a standard standard abduction st uh story is that you know we saw the lights blinked and then we saw a ufo and then i lost some time and i woke up a little bit later and i don't know what happened i was different i don't know why or how yeah, i mean how yeah. many times that fits the bill for I mean, a, a large amount of abduction cases. Oh, yeah. Well, in my case, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, for one, I didn't know it was possible to sum it up like you just did. And <laughs> <laughs> the whole the whole thing from it's impressive. Yeah. yeah. And and that was you guys that who's, whoever's listening to this, that's not even the tip of the iceberg. There's, what actually took place during that time period is is mind blowing, is actually mind blowing. And what he's getting ready to get into is even more mind blowing and takes a lot to wrap your head. It takes a lot to wrap your head around it. We're not. And that's because we've been suppressed. We're not supposed to remember this stuff. We've been programmed away from it. So if you can be open minded enough to at least hear this out, hear him out and at least consider the possibility, that's that's the best you can do for yourself. Yeah, we set off. We set off off air a, a few minutes ago before we started uh, recording this is that if you just if you've never heard any of this before and you heard my testimony and you weren't skeptical it would be weird it would be weird if you weren't skeptical mm -hmm. people that follow this should be skeptical of me my test i didn't firstly i didn't want to take it to the grave with me 
I didn't want to be dying and think, man, I should have told somebody because I do remember a lot of things. A, a great, it's not just a few memory. Um, but so I, it, there's a lot of other people like me that have come forward that should be researched and you can research a lot of things um, moving forward if this is new information. So, but typically you lose people, you get the thousand yard stare when you say that there was a time travel. When you, when you get into the age regression and then the time travel backwards, people go, what? No, everybody's yeah. willing to believe in ETs. Everybody believes that there's life out there. It's because it's so common. It's like a common sense issue. Yes. Like, you know what I mean? Billions yeah. and well, trillions of stars and one of the only one we're close to has us on it. So that, that we're batting a hundred, there's gotta be life yeah. out there, you know? So everybody believes that it's easy, but when you talk about time travel, that you know, when you travel great distances of space, you can also travel time as well. Mm -hmm. You really lose people because it's, we're we're just not wired to think about time travel. We're really, I mean, well, if you, sorry to interject again, but if you listen to William Tompkins' testimony, he talks about a pill that was available that pharmaceutical companies were developing when back when he was alive that you take it's like an age regression pill and he and he talked about this and the companies involved and he said they're using it it's just not publicly available and that's a pill that's just a pill this isn't the type of technology but if he, if they can do it via pill uh then obviously they got that from somewhere well and what, what i believe you know again if you get a surgery performed on you let's say you get your kidneys worked on you go in and get surgery and then you go through it when you get done with it you don't know how to perform kidney surgery so me, I experienced it, but I don't know really what the heck happened to me. I really, I don't know how they did it, but I experienced it. And yeah. so what, what a 20 year tour is, is they can take somebody and do, uh, and I think there's more than one version of it. I think that there's more than one way, like some people go and there's a, because they have a different uh, purpose or a different outcome that they want. Some people go, I, we've had We've had people talking about going for 60 years. We have people talking about doing 220s and 40 years. William Tompkins talked about that. Mm -hmm. um, so th I believe there are different methods to it. I think there's a version that uh, I went through that was like involved cloning, human cloning, and a form of consciousness transferal. And a lot of their technology, you know, a lot of the, the really radical medical technology involves cloning body parts or cloning an entirely new body and then using a some who knows some technology that can transfer consciousness into that new body. And then you wake up with all your memories and everything and you're perfectly well. Um, but again, I, I experienced it, but I don't know how it works kind of thing. So sure. but they take somebody and they can work them for 20 years. I was told that the, the process that I went through was in 20 year increments for every species, not just humans, but any other species, because after that they ran the risk of having some sort of mental handicap. In other words, of going insane, insanity, the probability of going more than 20 years at a time was um, would call, was probable of causing a mental problem. I've also talked to other insiders that said there are uh, natural reasons for the time travel to go in 20-year um, increments. So there are there are more than one factor. But basically, they can work you for 20 years. Like you said, that age regression pill put you back in your body that you saw, it put you back in your original body that's 20 years younger put you back in time and return you to the spot of the abduction 15 to 30 minutes later. So people are get some sort of contact. They see, they see an ET or a craft, they lose consciousness. They wake up 30 minutes later. They're slightly different. They have no memory of what happened and they could have worked for 20 years and gone to other star systems and done many other things. 
and been reprogrammed with mind mind control. There are radical technologies and mind, done mind, many mind. other things and then put back in their organic life. And then the timeline the the or, of Earth isn't affected at all. They're just put back and then let go. Right? You know what I mean? Like tagging a mm -hmm. tagging a fish and putting it back in the water, basically. And they had a fish for 20 years to do whatever they want. I mean, I'm using metaphor, but that is also as a very hard pill to swallow but that's exactly how i experienced it i was taken at 10 years old i was taken and i was worked through se several black programs i was privately owned in the beginning i did six six or seven years on earth and i worked i went from black program to black program privately owned not not particularly by the government but i was owned by individuals as a slave and i was did different um i had different purposes and whenever i lost the ability to be effective at what i was doing they would retrain me or test me and put me into something else and then after that i was sold off to the military the the secret military space program military into the into the solar system corporations colony corporations and i went to mars colony corp and was a support soldier for a short time and that program was canceled and i was sold off to the series colony corporation which is the small planetoid series that's in between Mars and the asteroid belt. And I, I lived there for about a decade and I worked on interstellar crafts. The first one, I was a ship maintenance on an inter interstellar craft. And then I was that ship was decommissioned and I was promoted to cargo engineer on an interstellar trade ship. And we went all over the galaxy and to other galaxies trading with extraterrestrials, uh, other races for tech goods for technology was our prime mission. And that's what right. I did at the end, I was put back. I was taken back to the moon went through a long um, procedure and put back and I woke up the next morning back in 1982, feeling like I had been gone for 20 years and I didn't know my way, I barely could recognize my room. I didn't know the toys that I had anymore. I went to school, I forgot where the bathroom was that day and I was a changed person ever after and I had no memory, those memories were deleted and there are other reasons, you know, I need. I guess I need to make a schematic on why I think it was cloning involved, but basically I was taken and I woke up and I had no memory of mom and dad and and my family. No, those memories are gone. Really? Lived the 20 years, got put back, had all those memories of 20 years of things. You know, I had I had relationships, friends, I had a career. Put back, and then all of a sudden I had all those memories back of mom and dad and my life. And I had no memories of the 20 years. Wow. Well, that's yeah. So um that was a lot. <laughs> it uh, <laughs> because there's so much that happened in between then um going back let's 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 get into some details here going back to when you were a child um you said you started off your first so many years were here were served here on earth now was that your time in peru and seattle or was that before you were 10 or that happened after you oh were that was then so that exactly okay. so when i was taken um i mean if you want to go into the chronological of the 20 years that i was taken in the beginning, I uh, they they got permission. There was, you know, I was taken. I was in a laboratory with extraterrestrials out of my taken out of my bed. I I grew up in Southern Michigan, and um, was woke up in a laboratory sitting on a table, just like just like so many other abduction experiences. Mm -hmm. It was pretty run of the mill. They did a procedure on me, and I lost consciousness. And when I woke up, I was in Inyo Kern Air Base in Southern California. There was a doctor, a human doctor, and it was old 50s style furniture that they had set up and turned turned like a portable, like a, you know, those portable buildings that the schools have, one of those into, you know, there's a bunch of cots and there was a dozen kids like me. 
and I got a medical procedure and I had complete amnesia. He asked me, do you remember your mom or dad? Do you know how you got here? And I had no memory of any of that. I woke up with amnesia and then I went through a, like a, a trauma-based mind control program, which they had programmed. They tested me and we were trained into like remote viewing. It was psychic training and they were what, and it was a trauma-based mind control program so that they could, they could shock us and we would just become catatonic and await commands. They, we were, we were, we were trained. It was, it was a trauma-based mind control and all of that stuff that they, um, you know, there's a lot of information about it on the internet about that, the MK Ultra stuff, and it was exactly like that. And this was something, frankly, that I remembered it before I discovered that it was existed. You, you know what I mean? Like, I got my yeah, memories yeah. back, and I, I went and got a uh, MRI in April, the late April of 2015, and two weeks later, in early May of 2015, all the memories came. Well, the memories began to come back in huge chunks, years of memories at a time. Yeah. And so um, that's kind of a lot of people don't understand, you know, that comes up, you know, if I don't explain that, like, how did I get my memories back? I think it was the MRI. It might've been a coincidence. I don't know, but it was right in that time frame. but uh, in your current air base. And then I was taken to Seattle to a private home there. He was a billionaire, which I don't, I, I don't publicly say his name because his family and it's not fair to kind of unleash something on that. And I kind of fear for my family. It's at the same time, he was a bad person but he was a practicing Satanist. And also that unfortunately is one of the um, more sound versions of my testimony that I, you know, I came out in 2015 and worked with and went on the record about it. And this was long before the Hillary emails or the pizza gate or any mm -hmm. of Satanism was even talked about yet. I was the first one. And then I connected it to the space program. I was a year early before all of the, yeah. you know, the pedal gate stuff happened. Well, that part of your testimony is, is, um, moving. I've, uh, you, you, you go into it in depth on your interview with Jermaine and Scott, um, for anybody who, uh, doesn't know who they are. They have a channel on YouTube also, uh, we'll link that interview. But when you, when you go into those details, I think it's just as important as a space program information because, People need to understand what's taking place, what's what's actually happening. Um, this Pizzagate stuff and, and the Pedogate or whatever you want to call it uh, is real, and the satanic rituals. Well, it's no, no. I, I don't mean to interrupt you back, but yeah, go ahead. Note, note the time. Where are we at here? It's January fifth, mm -hmm. twenty twenty-one. So, a lot of the conspiracy, whatever the movement, the support the president, the outgoing president or whatever, whatever it's going to happen in the next few weeks. Yeah. Um, are the one, that's one of the biggest things that the, the last administration hung their hat on was pedophilia and finding that they, and now just recently in Twitter, we had Lynn Wood say last week that everybody, the, the Supreme court justices were blackmailed with pedophilia. Mm -hmm. And that's why they threw out the voter mm -hmm. fraud case. He, yep. he even gave, de he even gave details of how the black, the black uh, male procedure worked. Yeah, I mean. Right, right. So yeah. this, these are things that I was remembered. And, and believe me, when in the beginning, I was looking for something to disprove everything that I remembered. Because this is what I remembered. Because I remembered being abused. Uh, you know, there was a time, you know, so I went to Seattle and then I went to Peru and was in psychic service and I worked in, Porto, Tawantinsuya, Peru, and I was at a young age. I was like 11 until 13 or so. 
and they were drugging us. And what it was is they put, they, we were kids and they would give us some drug and put us near to death. And we were able to channel um, others, just the same way that the Germans channeled and got the plans to further interstellar craft, the same exact thing, the Maria Orsic story, but they were doing this on command with us kids that went through this program. And uh, I was being used to channel and they were doing drug shipments from Porto to Wanton Suyo, Peru. I always say it wrong to Santa Marta, Colombia. And it was plain and I, they had lost a plane in bad weather. So they sent me down there and I was, a, you know, a form of navigation or like a safety. And they would drug me halfway through the flight and ask me questions. And he's the, the man that was my handler said that I said all kinds of that. There were times I spoke in fluent Spanish. I, don't, I still don't know Spanish to this day. But he said he talked to his grandmother. He talked to people that were dead. And I was channeling for them. And for the first two years down there, uh, you know, I was they did it. It was like monthly and they had doses of whatever drug they were giving me. And it was once a month that they would take me. And eventually he had a long notebook of questions from everybody in the town. But I lost that ability right around 13 and I was taken back to Seattle. And that's where I witnessed a lot of the pedal gate things. And I was actually participating. I was used as a sex slave and they were parties that on all over the West Coast. We would do the lineup. There was myself and other foster boys that lived in the home. And we were used for that. And, that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't every day. It wasn't a, you know what I mean? We're talking like six parties a year during the summer that we were used for. The rest of the time, it was like being a foster kid there. So it wasn't, a, you know, like a thing, but something very odd, but it did happen. And we were groomed for that, for, for, to be sexually abused. And we were also told to look in a certain direction while it was happening because somebody far away, a hundred feet away was in the bushes filming it. And these are things that I also remembered and I went on record in 2015 about. I also went on record in 2015 and described sadly, accurately, some of the rituals that they did and other people that were ex-Satanists, uh, you know, researchers that had had um, experience with Satanism realized that I knew that I described rituals pretty much accurately. And I have, you know, in my life, I have no, no experience with Satanism. I grew up in Episcopal. My mom is a very religious woman. One, one, one of the uh, most interesting parts of that story is when you uh, recalled seeing that entity um, during, during the one ritual, I think that's actually powerful because a lot of the veil is thinning now and people are seeing a lot of, a lot of different things. And that story is very interesting to me on what was taking place there. Would you mind going into that? There's a lot of details um, about it. I mean, for I'll try to do it without, without talking the whole hour away. Um, but what I've found, you know, like, so when I got my memories back in 2015, I was left in the wake of this and really with no one to talk to. And, and I, when I accepted it, that it was real. When, firstly, so back in 2015, I got on Google Earth and I found the house. Really? I found the town in Peru. I found exactly had the layout. I found um, I found ponds near the town that I remember going fishing at. He took me fishing. I, you know, I lived there. I found where I used to walk. The streets were exactly the same. I used to go one street over and then up and then count three streets over. And I'd end up at the plaza where I was met to go to the airport and go on the, on the flights. And it was exactly how I remembered it. And the house in Seattle was exactly how I And I, I so much so that I went there. I flew there in 2016. I went to Seattle. And I knew not only the house, but my way around. I knew the inside of the nearby store that has candy on sale for cheap. I knew the beach. And before I got to the end of the beach, I knew the rocks were bigger down at the end of the beach. And I was constantly on the phone with researchers while I was there 
because I wish that somebody could have went and filmed it, but I didn't expect my memories to be that accurate. But that particular instance that you're talking about, I was left wondering why, why, why does, why do people do that? Why, why is yeah. Satanism prevalent in the elite with the elite? And the thing that I've concluded is that it's not really a religion at all, that really it was a technology, like an ancient technology mm-hmm. and ritual technology that they're doing. They were channeling, they gave us a, like a crushed up flower, like a hallucinogenic flower. And it only lasted for a few minutes, the effect of it. Well, you know, it was a hallucinogen, but they were trying to channel an entity from who knows where just to get information, to access information. And you got to think if you can do this, if you can access accurately information from the past or the future. So, you know, an entity that lives outside of time space. I've also found a lot of documents on the CIA through Project Grill Flame, uh, Project Center Lane, and eventually Project Stargate, documents that support all of, all of this, the things that I experienced. And especially that they can channel entities from outside of time space that can have accurate information of the past or the future. So that basically it's a technology. It wasn't, it's not like they're worshiping this thing. They were calling it forward to get ahead. Like it, it's a yeah. tech. And, um, that's what they were doing. It was a ritual thing. It was only, it was during a certain alignment. Like there was a certain time frame that it would work. And they had us kids and they, there was a ritual there that they were doing to, to access. What did, what did they have you kids doing actually? And when, how did you see that entity come through? So they had a mortar and tussle thing, you know, like that you crush and they had a flower. It was a flower that they crushed up. They had us kids in the center. We were dressed in like uh, they were all dressed in white robes, which is uh, not a typical satanic ritual attire. Black robes normally, right? They were white robes and they were half of the people there was their first time. So there were, you know, eight or nine people there, if I remember right. Right. They gave us this. They put a little bit of it was I think it was wine that they mixed it with or some kind of alcohol. They made us drink it and we only had a few minutes and they had, you know, the same way that the old Catholic church, you know, if you look at like the Vatican, they have those big incense burning things that hang on a rope and they can swing them and it causes a cloud. They all stood around us in a circle and two or three of them had these things and they made a big cloud of incense above us. And when we looked up into the cloud while we were on this drug, I could see an entity there looking back down at us. Wow. Wow. They expected it to go into one of us and start talking. And it didn't. So it was kind of, it was a fail. But at the same time, all three, there was myself, a young girl and another boy. And all three of us saw the same thing. So we weren't having individual uh, hallucinations. We were all seeing the same exact thing at the same time. And it looked, it was a cloud above us and it looked in down on us and it got scared or it got, it got upset at one of us and left. Didn't you That's, say that it, it said something to one of your friends or one of the other guy kids there? The boy there was, he said that was the whole reason he was there. And I looked over him and he turned, you know, and again, I'm hallucinating. He turned, there was a beam, there was like, he like lit up at it and he was there. Like, it, like, like he had a past with it. He said, this is the reason I'm here. You know, and like he challenged it, like, come, come on, you know? Yeah. And he saw it and it was insulted. It was like, what is this? Like, like it was invited there with the red carpet. It thought it was going to get the red carpet treatment. And here is this kid that was basically aggro with it, you know, aggroed on him. And that's kind of what I saw. But it was, again, it's a hallucination. It's hard to just 
I don't want to lose people when I when it's, I describe it. You know, you get what I mean. But basically, that's what I saw. And the kid had a, like a beam of light come out of him towards it. Sure. I mean, that's, that, when anybody does spiritual practices, we're told to imagine that type of stuff. Imagine yourself surrounded by light. Imagine all this stuff because it, it is real. And mm -hmm. I think that some of these uh, drugs actually allow you to tap into that and see some of this stuff. Uh, I don't think people will think it's that crazy, honestly. It feels crazy to remember it. You know, like these are the two when, when I remembered it. And then even afterwards, I, I remember being basically flabbergasted the next day going, what is going on? Where, what am I going through here? You know, like the entire time. And I was badly damaged after the, after the mind control, the trauma-based mind control programming. I was badly damaged and for, for years after that, for the whole time, but for years after that, before I healed where I could even have some sort of, you know what I mean? I was kind of like a broken kid where I would, you know, cry a lot and just kind of like in a very bit, like, a, like a mentally broken kid because I had been through that program. And later on, when I got into my twenties, it started to kind of heal to where I could, I guess, think normally, you know, because I began to sure. think more normally. And, uh, when I remember stuff like that, a lot of things like, I, like I, I get headaches and I, I don't want to say I get upset, but I, I get, uh, you know, like a perturbed. Yeah, you know I understand. I mean? like it's a painful. It's a painful state of mind to remember. To to be able to go back and remember those times. It's also I remember experiencing that state of mind, and it's painful. It's not. It's not comfortable at all. Well, let's of course. Um, yeah. Let's leave some of those details for the other interview where people can go check you out because you do really you do go deep into that story there and uh, on Jermaine's interview and Jermaine and Scott. But let's let's go from there. So how did you go from that house and into the secret space program? From from what I understand, uh, you were drugged every day. They changed the drugs and your body had a, a negative reaction and you were they were giving us pills. I think that they were they were trying. So, again, we were in sex slave service so they starved us they kept us skinny they kept us with a low body fat content we had a very you know what i mean I, just barely enough food to get by we were I, I just remember always being hungry we did calisthenics and in the morning we, we took a couple of pills that were probably diet control vitamins and who knows something else but me per in my life i'm very allergic to codeine and that whole family of drugs and it felt like the same kind of allergy so they changed the formula of pills that they were giving us those mornings and um i got immediately sick and after three days i was i was throwing them back up and i had asked her my owner's wife i said can't you just tell them to ask them if i can go back on the old stuff and she said she called and it was like you know they had a supply of drugs that they were giving us whatever that well, for whatever reason and she said nope you're going to be sold off to the military and Right then and there, it was like I was a dead man walking. They nobody talked to me. It was a couple of weeks after that before I was shipped off, and for that time, it was kind of like I was just dead to them all. Um, but I didn't miss leaving. I was very happy to get out of there. Sure, that was a very it was an emotional black hole living in that house and under that circumstance. And my heart goes out to kids that live in a foster, you know, institution like that because while they are taken care of, well, we were we were taken care of you know, in a manner of speaking, I was in a very, you know, I was in a mansion, basically. Um, it was totally devoid of any kind of emotional support or any kind of like feeling of love, 
love or any kind of positive emotional support that was totally devoid. And I feel that I feel for kids that are in a, a similar situation, if it's not that extreme where they're being abused like that, but uh, just in that situation, I, I really feel for kids because at that age and what I experienced, it was, that was very damaging. And I still, I think I still have some problem. Like I'm still seek out to this day to compensate for that time. For those few years that I was there, it was so loveless that it, that's like something that's very valuable to me now is friendships and trying to trying to get approval. You know what I mean? Like trying, trying to not and not only not only to get uh, it, but to, to show people that really don't even care, like, could care less that they're loved. You know what I mean? That they're loved or to appreciative, appreciative of them because I experienced that. And um, yeah. my heart goes out to any kids that do. She so. I was sold off to the military. She packed me up. It was very unceremonious. And we drove, we had to take a ferry. We were on one of the islands in Seattle. We took a ferry and she drove me to the, basically behind like a big box store back behind it where the dumpsters are. And we met some guys in a van and they gave me a injection and I lost consciousness. And I woke up on a flight to the moon on a military flight, which could be, easily described as uh, what everybody says is a TR3B, like 20, 30 seats wide in the rows on the inside. I was sitting next to a military. I think he, he looked like an Air Force guy, but I don't, I didn't know what the, at the time, what the uniforms were. He was in a fancy military uniform, formal, he was in formals. And he said, you're with me and you're not going to give me any trouble, are you buddy? And I woke up and I, he said, there's a bag. If you're going to get sick, you're going to be trained. Just stick with me. I'm going to take you to your assignment. And we flew to a base um, on the backside of the moon where he handed me off. There were ETs there. There were lots of military personnel. I remember seeing out the outside the ship that, you know, there's like a walk-in. I could see that there was a hangar um, with other ships in it. And um, I went in and, and got more of the mind control programming, this time with ETs, with um you know, the term tall whites isn't entirely fair. It's kind of like tall, bluish, milky grays. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the color yeah. matters to people, to researchers, but basically there's a species of, of humanoid that's very smart and, and more, more have more indigenous to space or low gravity than planets. And they were very smart things. They were in charge of the learning up there and a lot of the management, I guess. But, um, they could appear as a human if they wanted, though, right? Well, I didn't. I didn't witness any of that. You know, I've heard stories of it. Um, I, I, I didn't witness any of that. Later on, years later, I did witness a few beings that that had a form of invisibility. That they had, they, it had a uh, like a. It gave off a smoke. When you got close to it, you could see a gas that you could see right through it. The kind of like it was invisible. So if you were in a distance, it was completely invisible. When you got close, the invisibility effect was actually some kind of gas that was coming out of a suit, like a suit with a lot of holes with a gas coming out and the gas made it invisible. And so, but uh, I didn't see any kind of like shape shifting. Sure. Let me note really quick. I just think it's very curious. And of course this is what it is, but you said in Seattle, this took place on an Island. Mm -hmm. Of course it was an Island. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we were told that like, you're, you're not going to go anywhere and it's freezing water. Yeah. Don't, there were but there were boys that tried to escape and they got caught and it oh, was it was really? cold but there was freezing water and um you weren't going anywhere and we knew it you know yeah. there was, we were fenced in and that's kind of 
these people know what they're doing. And the other thing is, maybe before we move on into the space stuff, but the the society behind the the what I experienced in Seattle, not not just them, but the, it was a society, it was a culture, had everything worked out. They weren't new at it. They weren't new to this. They weren't figuring out no. what they were doing. The blackmailing and the Satanism and the, the sex stuff and all of that stuff was old to them. They had been practicing this for a very long time. They were very, it was a very developed culture. They had their own set of holidays. They had their own terms and words that they talked to. It was a very well developed culture. And that's kind of what we're seeing now uh, being, being, in our government, you can know what I mean? You're kind of seeing them step to the front and it's kind of scary what's going on because I, it's it's terrifying to see see it all come true, to see it unfold. Well, that that's why your testimony is so important actually and all, and all the SSP whistleblowers because this, this is taking everything and tying it together. It helps people connect the dots and understand why one thing is just as important as the other and how it's all intertwined. And, you know, people hear about UFOs and aliens and they don't understand like, okay, big deal. They exist. Well, our space programs, big deal. doesn't affect me. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And, and you need to stop and listen to this stuff and understand how it's affecting your life and what's actually going on out there and to your friends and family that you don't even understand. I think that we've been greatly fooled. So I think the average person, even, even the most open-minded people that say, you know, I believe in all that. So yes, there's a conspiracy, even though they still, we're still in full in thinking that we have some kind of random organic development. And by that, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like people say, well, they didn't, there's no way they could know what the internet was going to do when they invented it. They knew exactly what it was going to do. Mm -hmm. They knew exactly what's going to happen with all the technologies that they introduced because there are other planets in the exact same situation that they, they, you know what I mean? And some other planet has another slave set of people like us that they're running from behind the scenes with the same the exact same structure and they let them have the internet 200 years ago and they know exactly what's going to happen the when when cars were invented when the light bulb was invented when as technologies are given to us this has already happened before on a thousand other worlds mm -hmm. and they directed it and they know exactly what kind of result they're going to get so where we're at in our development is not a organic thing it's being very controlled that's why some of these people say that uh, the planets they visited are, resemble Earth all the way down to the fire trucks. And I mean, everything is the same. It, it's the same. Drugs yes. and alcohol on other planets. I mean, gambling. It's not, this isn't just here. Bootlegging. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. We did. Um, for the most part, we were not concerned with a lot of uh, um, lesser developed planets because our mandate was to trade for technology. So we were seeking out more advanced um, societies and trying to get technology from them. But we did trade with others that were less advanced. And we did visit some places that were, that were like us back in the fifties or back more like, more, more like back in the eighties. So uh, parallel development. So let's, let's go back to uh, the moon. You, you were on the moon and uh, you were going through your training. I understand you were, you were put under some type of combat training uh, it wasn't what you would think it was, it, but you know, like I was never given a gun and taught how to load it and reload it and do all those. I was not told strategy or anything. It was a hundred percent 
fight or flight response. They plugged me into a machine that showed me videos over and over again. And it, what it did was it taught me to not run from, from certain death, but to, to run towards it. And basically being trained to be like a suicide bomb, not a suicide bomber, but a suicide troop. Sure. And we were going to be a uh, support soldier for, for real soldiers that were taught to strategy, you know? And, um, so it basically consisted of getting eye drops and some drugs in the morning and watching videos over and over for months, you know, weeks, weeks. So I, I lost track of time. I didn't really, and it worked. And um, they tested us uh, against a large insectoid, a large insect. They put us in an arena and tested us. And one of us went and blew himself up with it. And uh, they were happy. Everybody cheered. They gave they were They were thrilled about the project. It was a new thing. Uh, this would have been around 86, 87. Okay. Uh, 87, mid 87 was, you know, on the moon is when that would have happened. But then I was shipped off to Mars where there was a larger, a very larger craft. It wasn't full of people. Uh, there was a lot of empty seats on it and it flew to Mars in a short time. And when we got there, we had to wait in orbit for a long, for a couple hours, for a matter of hours because the airspace there was uh, not secure. What's your speculation on the propulsion system that these craft use? Is it a portal you're just hopping through like the cosmic? I, be I believe it jumped. Yeah, yeah. I believe that it, it jumped there. And um, But even still, it's, it's not, it's still uh, anti-gravitic type of technology. Yes. So yeah. the ships later, you know, I didn't know until later on when I was working on you know, as I started to get some rank, I got, I was able to talk to people. The first, the first ship I was on, I worked with two other guys that knew just as little as me and nobody ever spoke to us. We, you know, we were an automated system. We never left really where we were down below. It was basically a refitted uh, submarine that was turned into a spaceship. Sure. And we were, we did maintenance down below. We had a computer that told us what step-by-step -step instructions on what to do to maintain and to fix anything that broke. And, that was my existence for like seriously like eight years that's all i did it was ground it was soul crushing it was mind numbing you know but uh later on after that when i got promoted i got onto a ship where i actually had more water cooler kind of talk with peak conversations with people that were you know officers and things and and access to a, a much more high-tech uh craft and so it had several it had several forms of uh propulsion and one of them was an A to B, like an anti-grav uh, propulsion. And then it jumped. And all the ships, so, so everybody coveted the battleships because they had a greater power output. And what they said was that in order to, for the ship to jump directly somewhere else far away, it took a while to power up and happen. So it couldn't jump and then turn around and jump somewhere else quickly. It had to wait, you know, it's 20 like, minutes. What, what is it? Prepare for... Uh... Prepare for the jump to light speed. They have to power. Yeah. It has to they have to sit yeah. there for a while, yeah. right? It had to sit there, and mm -hmm. by the power, the amount of power output is how far it could jump. So one with a bigger power output could jump way farther, and one with a smaller output, which we were on a freighter, could jump, and then would have to wait and jump again. Do you get what I mean? Like that's how it was. And the I guess the the battleships, the one the warships, could could jump three or four times before it had to wait. They had several power. Um, they had several uh, generators or whatever, whatever 
power plants on it that could make it jump quickly. And that was part actually uh, part of its weaponry was the ability to move that fast. And we saw disclosure of that in the rise of skywalker honestly yeah. they do the light really? they do the light speed skipping and then somebody's like uh you sh you're not supposed to you shouldn't be able to do that like how do you do that and like and he's like well i did it you know wow. uh, but it, yeah it's like the first time they had ever heard of it even in the movie you know um it, it, really. was, it was a big deal so the officers on my ship really wanted to be i guess even more so than because there was pay so a lot of people say that these colonies don't have money so the one that i was on had money. There was a money system there. So there was pay. And a, a, a part of being paid more to be on a, on a warship, there was this prestige kind of like they, they had bragging rights, you know, in the officer's lounge, the guys that worked on a warship were way more respected than the, everybody else. So everybody wanted to be transferred to a warship. And they would always just kind of look at all there were a few times when we, you know, we were alongside them and doing support missions and uh, the officers really kind of, uh, I, you know, I don't have the word for it, but they really kind of sucked up to that. You know what I mean? Like they were really <clears throat> envious <clears throat> of, of that duty. So I have so many questions, but I want to get through some of this testimony also. Uh, yeah, that's the uh, so you're outside of Mars. You're um, it's very apparent that you know they're not they're, the airspace is controlled by somebody else. You guys aren't welcome there. You're probably in danger. Uh, you're waiting. Is this Aries Prime that we hear about on Mars? Is that where you were going? Or I don't believe so. Well, so what happened was when we did land, they immediately took us out of the ship. There were people there that were going, going, but all the kids that were in my um unit the you know my program that they put bags over our heads just like they see when they do prisoner like the israelis do with prisoners yeah they put bags over our heads and put us on a smaller ship they walked us right over <clears throat> i don't know if it was a hangar or whatever because they got us right at the right when i set foot off the ship there were guys there and they put bags overhead and they grabbed us and they walked us over to a smaller ship and we rode the entire time to another base and then they let us out and it was a smaller craft i didn't see it but when we got into another base, it was a forward base. It was an underground base. And it was meant for more people, like 200 or 300 people it would accommodate. But there were only about 50 people there. I guess it had been overran in the prior to that. And now was kind of a fort, like a combat test facility where it had offices. It was it looked like a school. It had the construction of a modern, like an elementary school, you know, or a mall or something, but it looked more like an elementary school than anything. It had <clears throat> color-coded lines on the walls that the elevator system was in the center and it had ring, you know, spokes that would go out on each level and each spoke had a color so that you could follow it and go to where you were going like that. You know what I mean? Like, everywhere like a parking garage. Yes. Yes. And it was laid yeah. out like that. And so the the top level had i think the second level had the hangar and the top level had the hospital and uh an armory and then the second level was the hangar area and then there were more and it was the bottom level the fifth level down at the bottom was where we stayed where we slept and that had a cafeteria one one of the wings was an entire cafeteria and there were administrative facilities like cubicles and they had changed they put cots inside of they took one room that had a bunch of cubicles, like an office building. You know, it was a big room full of cubicles. And he, they they took out the desks and put cots in there. And that's where we slept. 
And right across the hall was a bathroom and the Mars had advanced, pretty advanced bathrooms. Was compared to everyone else I went. That was my next question. Does this stuff look like it was built by humans or uh, ET construction? By human. It looked like a human. Like something we would recognize. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, well, like I said, I mean, just like a school, like a newer school, not an old school, but like one of the newer ones that was built in the 2000s. You know, if you I don't know, you know, if you have kids or whatever, but if you took your kid to a newer elementary school, they're pretty fancy, some of them. And it it was that level of construction. So nothing in space is old school, is what you're saying. Series colony was. <laughs> no, series colony was. There were it looked like old Europe. A lot of there was marble steps, really? and there were a lot of old, there were columns. They started. I believe they started building it as early as the 40s. No, hang on a sec. So series is between Mars and Jupiter in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. Is it in the asteroid belt and near it's it? It's just before the asteroid belt from Mars. So it's in between Mars and the asteroid belt. And they built it or is it a planetary body? It's a dwarf, it's a dwarf planet. Okay, it's a dwarf planet. Okay. So a couple of things. Okay, I want to pause where we're at in the story, but a couple of things. So I want to say this, that I do have a website out and I want to give myself a shameless plug. It's Tony Rodriguez with an S on the end. TonyRodriguez.com. Wait, Rodriguez. So I said that wrong. It's not Rodriguez. Rodriguez. It's Rodriguez. I've been called much worse. (laughs) It's fine with me. I really, it's Rodriguez with an S uh, coming back. Whenever it's, it's not that big. I don't get offended over it at all, but so it's Rodriguez Rodriguez, but you have the same name in the secret space program. No, definitely not. I had a number and my name changed many times. Okay. Every time I went to a different stop, they would nickname you different. I had a number that's, that's, for years. That's interesting. Uh, go ahead. Um, continue with your, your uh, website. So my website is there and it has links to some uh, old interview. I've done doing a lot of interviews. Um, you know, I'm way over a hundred interviews. It's oh, got links thanks. to a Patreon channel. I, I started getting, uh, it's important to note that I've, since I've been public, I've had thousands of people reach out to me and say that they have similar memories. So I, you know, if it's a phenomenon or whatever, but I got to the point where I couldn't keep up with everybody and I kind of had the same recommendations of things to go through. So there's a course on there. There's a, there's a memory recall course. There's a few resources, but also the CIA documents that I found earlier pertaining to grill flame. There are a few documents and then there's a a PDF of stalking the wild pendulum. Isaac, I say his name wrong, Benthov. That book is basically the basis of psychic research for the CIA of the explains this physics. That free downloads on my website as well. So there's a lot of info there for people to go. Like I said, it, it, be skeptical. That's fine. But research. Go yeah. go ahead and research. Please prove me wrong. It would be great if I did if it was all not true. But well, unfortunately, every time I dig into it, it pans out. Well, I do know that you you do have evidence for some of this stuff. I, I know it's probably not safe to share some of it. Um, I don't right. know. So I, I keep the Seattle things kind of, you know, there are for a few reasons, like I said earlier, like there are, could be innocent people that could get harassed and there could be bad people that could harass me. So I kind of don't, I have shared it with, um, I've worked with some government well, people he- that I've sworn secrecy in the past. I've shared the information with government agencies and with researchers in the past. So people think that I've kind of enabling this behavior by not talking about it, but I have shared it with pr- proper authorities when well, the, I first came out. The thing is, is that um, you can you can tell your story every day, all day, and nobody cares because you're not 
you're not given any sauce, right? Because they, there's there's nothing there. There is, you have the stuff, but there's nothing there that somebody can go validate and verify. As soon as you start doing that, that's whenever you put yourself, you put a target on your back and that's whenever there's people out there to silence you. There've been a few things um, most recently. So in 2015, I had documented and with the very first two, two researchers that I worked with, that uh, we once I had recalled that we flew over the planetoid series and there was a geyser. So in the Okada crater, uh, um, that there are, they call them white spots of Okada crater and NASA did. And people, everybody said, it's a city. When the dawn probe was lined up, they said, it's a city. I said, no, 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 that was a geyser and that salt left over. I remember we flew over, I flew over it in like 98. And uh, it, it, what they told us on the over the intercom while we were flying over, looking out the window at it as a, at a geyser going off, is that it happens randomly between nine years, every six or nine years, somewhere in there, it randomly just the geyser goes off. And what happens is the water, it's like ocean water, and the water goes up and evaporates, and salt and a little bit of magnesium floats back down, and that leaves the white deposits there. So I said that in 2016 when the Dawn probe was on the way. I said, no, I remember that when the Dawn Probe first gave pictures. And But NASA back then said those deposits were probably uh, several different chemicals, not salt. But so they said because of its uh, because of the reflectivity of it, it's probably some other chemical. So the researchers said, we'll just have to wait and see. So just last year, in I believe in July or August, NASA came back and concluded their study and said that it was salt. And so I had a few vindicating emails that said, Tony, you were right all along. And that's one of the that's one of the that's the real public concrete thing that you know i said that in 2016 and nasa said it in 2020 and so i called that out you know well ahead of time and, how could you have and, possibly known that right exactly how could right exactly right. and not only that that it's a geyser nasa still thinks that it's like a bubbly like a little bit of water they don't know they don't they haven't really stated that it's a geyser but we saw the geyser i saw it with my own eyes it was beautiful and what happens is it goes up and as it evaporates it's kind of explosive and the cone that it makes, the salt, the the snow, it looks like snow comes in different speeds back down. So, you know what I mean? Like, and it's beautiful because it's all different speeds that are, that are, it doesn't snow at the same rate. It snows at different sure. speeds. So it's just gorgeous when, but it's like 10 kilometers tall when, wow. it, when it goes that's, up there. And that, that's insane. Wow. Not something you forget. And, well, uh, I mean, it would have to be if you could see it, if you can see it from, space space i mean yeah and for uh, anybody who's curious the thumbnail with uh for this video uh, it's going to be the thumbnail for this entire month uh has uh, artist depiction of the plant series um uh, and the and the white spot on there is the geyser that he's talking about i think i have a background here let me try if i can yeah it's it, whatever you're going to pull up is the same image i'm pretty sure but um oh no that, uh, that map is not uh, working has it okay, no never mind next time but but anyway that picture uh did they can see it on the thumbnail if they're looking at it but yeah i have an artist yeah like an artist rendition i had an artist draw what it what it sort of what it looked like but it, it was much more impressive in real life um, sure. when i was there and the okada crater is like 50 miles wide so yeah. it was a big thing and we flew through it so the other thing that that is circumstantial is that when back in 2016 when i took when i actually took one of the pictures from the Dawn Pro, from the NASA website. And I drew a line of where we were, you know, left to right. And I remembered the sizes of the salt deposits. Later on, when they came out with a full map of series, 
the direction we were flying was also pointing right towards the hangar entrance that I remember as well, where, where we would have entered. So the flight home, it was like exact. It wasn't like I remembered flying it in a different direction. The, the way that I drew it originally. And then later on, I found out that where I identified the entrance. So the hangar entrance is inside what they call a cold trap. It's a place that's dark you know, 28 days a month, it's, there's dark. So that's where they have the doors to the, to the hangar. So you can't see them. And there's a hol there's actually a hologram that hides it as well, but there are big doors that the ships fly in and they're in, they're in perpetual darkness inside one of the craters. The one that I identified is actually lined up with the same flight path that I originally drew in 2016. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And for the people who, the people who have a hard time believing this or calling you a fraud or anything. I, I've listened to you enough now. There's, there's just no way it, it's clearly, I, I pay attention to your mannerisms and your body language is your, there's clearly memory recall happening. There. And there's, you have so much detail that, you know, you're, you're just talking like stream of consciousness. You're not sitting here like trying to remember, okay, what's this part of the story? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, I'm like, for somebody to be able to do that, I mean, you either have to have a really, really, I mean, a really creative mind to create that story to a very yeah, impressive memory to memorize all that, or you're spending all of your free time just going over your story constantly to memorize zero. it. Zero. You know what? I do like, these interviews with zero rehearsal. Yeah. I show, I was sleeping before I got, I mean, I'm not trying to like yeah. brag or something, but I don't, it, it's better that way. Uh, in the beginning, when I started doing interviews, somebody said, we'll send you the questions we're going to ask and you can go over them. And I did. And I, we got into the interview and I said, I can't even do this. You know, just ask me, just ask me because yeah. if I can't really plan, it's, it doesn't work that way. Uh, it's much better because at the end, when, now when they put you back, they put you through a, a final bout of mm -hmm. mind control programming and they call these parting gifts. So uh, another, another whistleblower that came forward called them parting gifts and what they do is people that go through and people that I've worked with, it's pretty much across the board. When they start writing it down or they start talking about certain subjects, they'll get sleepy. They'll get, you know what I mean? They give you party gifts to where, like, I can't remember people's faces. I can't remember a lot of names or streets. Sure. You know, mm -hmm. they, they put you through individual like forms of industrial hypnosis and you'll forget all the faces that you saw during that time or all the names, you know, like sure. names are yeah. very challenging. People ask me, what was the name of it? where was that i don't remember a lot of names i need that i need somebody else that was at the birthday party yeah, yeah to remind me of the broken table but that's how i get the names the names that i do remember are from meeting other people and i have met other people i have found other people that were there as well so but and it's up to them to come forward it's not up to me to name them what's what's interesting to me is that i've listened to your story um every time there's something new every time but you you skim through stuff sometimes where another interview you go into more detail. So even even some of the stuff you told here, there's a lot more details that just didn't come through in this interview that that are there. And that's why it's so important to listen to all these interviews to really paint a full picture. I mean, really in two or three hours. And what I found is I'm working on a book as well. And what I found is that each I guess maybe it's the hosts. You know what I mean? Like maybe you feel comfortable. You know what I mean? Like there are things, there are aspects of what I went through that I feel more comfortable speaking with, with a woman. Sure. Do you get what I mean? Like, oh, you yeah. know, like some, an older woman, like a mom figure would bring out a different, different things that I felt versus talking with guys like, you know, like, like, Hey, Hey bro, th this is what I went through. You know, <laughs> you blew that thing up. You know, yeah. 
I, I, so maybe it's, maybe there's a component of that, but there's just so much that we could spend hours and hours just talking about the first day, the first 30 minutes oh, yeah. of the abduction, yeah. you know, and everybody, I, for the first year, everybody just wanted to hear about Mars because there's actually quite a big, uh, you know, like a disclosure group. There's clearly quite a big uh, community centered around the Mars Colony Corp or, you know, activity on Mars because the early whistleblowers in the early 90s and mid 90s were all Mars guys. Mm -hmm. Sure. So that's kind of a developed part of the community. So, I, you know, some interviews, that's all we ever talk about is Mars and it doesn't get to Ceres Colony. Well, well Mars and the moon are going to be, I mean, it's going to be a while still, but they're going to be the among the first to be disclosed. So that's why that's like in the collective. That's what people want to know about, you know, same yeah. with same with like Area 51 and stuff like that. I hear SpaceX is planning on being on Mars within the next two years. Yeah, well, or, some, or heading well, towards Mars. In the next two years. Yeah, the exactly. So, sure. and, and I think that there's I, I when you look at our history. So uh, so the Germans, the story is that the Germans in the late 30s went to the moon mm -hmm. and when they got there. You know that qualified them for to be in the club up yeah. there. Claim their territory. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be now that they were in interstellar um, society, that they could join and and in a way do business with interstellar society. So they, then we had the United States in the late '60s do this, stop everything, and go to the moon. And then they went to the moon a few missions, and then it all just dropped. Then, so they oh, were in the club as well. We're done going to the moon now publicly, you know. <laughs> so right. So well, maybe all the it's money, the same thing. All the money that gets funded, all the all the money that gets fueled in or that NASA is funded by, whatever I'm trying to say, that money is actually funding the black budget programs mm -hmm. and the secret space programs. NASA is just a big cover. That's no, yeah. And NASA's then people at, the people at NASA have to be under that mind control and they have to believe they're actually trying to get to the moon when we're already up there. It's just part of the show. Mm -hmm. There is a vast in infrastructure of human networks throughout the solar system. There are many, you know, and the average school kid thinks there's, you know, well, we used to have nine planets and now they're yeah. eight and a dwarf. And then there are moons, 20 or 30 moons on Jupiter, you know, but the reality is, is that there are hundreds and hundreds of bodies in our solar system that you can set up a base on. The other thing, the other missing component of this is the artificial, the same technology that gives um, anti-gravity for the ships to get up there grants artificial gravity. So Ceres did not have, it was only 500, like, it's like 540 miles in diameter. It, did, it has microgravity. In the mines, I did work one day. They they screwed up my my assignment my first day, and I went to the mines, and I worked a day there. And they what they do is they mine in microgravity, and then they vacuum out the dust, and then they install gravity uh, plating. There, it's a flooring. It's the floor that has, is gravity plating that creates artificial gravity, and it goes up to like ten meters of gravity that it can create before you get back to the microgravity. And they can change it. They can focus it so that they can create gravity only six feet and you know what I mean? And you get into microgravity. So, but they would install that in and then continue to mine out the debris and then continue mining. They were looking for uh, water, but the ships have it as well. And when you think about that technology, you think about free power and then artificial gravity, they can install a base pretty much anywhere on any kind of yeah. rock. Huh. And uh, so they are everywhere throughout our solar system by now. And they're not all by the same group. So I understand uh, that there's something like five different fleets that are operating. They're human. 
that are operating in our, our solar system and in nearby stars. Help me help me understand something. So is this like like we see in Star Wars? Are you are you just like walking around in these ships? Or are you strapped in like the, the astronauts are in the rocket? Um, and a great question, though. I, it's the yeah. first time I've heard that question, but that's a good question. You know, like a lot of people don't. Uh, I've had a few artists work on the ship. I need to do more. Uh, I, I, I need to really go on. I, artists have always asked me if they wanted some help. And then that's how the pictures came. You know, they would approach me and I would work with them, but I need to go and seek out some art working. But the ships are uh, more like an airplane, you know, as as far. And then the big ones that I was on was more like a naval ship, more like a cruise ship. And in the front of it, it was plush. So like the the, the Max von Laue, the final ship that I was on was a freighter. It was a cargo ship. The front half of it had an elevator and it had carpet. And it was the wider hallways and the main C deck. So it had five main decks and then two half decks or two and a half half decks. But the main deck in the center of it was where everybody went to. The, there were food and the bathroom and it was a wide and the observation deck. That's where you went to look out the window. When we were passing something, they would announce it. They'd give you 10 minutes off your from your post and you could go up there and, and wits like this, like the geyser. And that was on the C deck. The, the, the rear of the ship was like metal like there were ladders not a, not an elevator we had ladders and staircases that were industrial it looked like you know everything was covered in like a white epoxy it looked like it looked more like a factory you know with a with a uh, uh cargo base than the front of the ship the front of the ship was more plush so you could move about freely on these ships though you weren't there was never Just a like point, you were on a cruise there was never a point where you had to like strap in and buckle down no. okay you could not tell that you were moving there was no there was yeah. no sense of motion whatsoever when we we did go underwater we did go to antarctica sometimes and we would have to go underwater and when that happened you could hear the ship the hull would pop and but you know every now it would flex and it, you could hear it echoes like pa you know and it would echo through the ship but that was about it that was the only it was kind of scary to be honest but uh you know i was afraid of it that when that happened but they, we were totally safe. I guess the way that it does is it, it turns the water around the ship weightless. And because water doesn't flex, you know what I mean? Water is, I forget the term, hydrostatically, you know, water doesn't compress. Yeah. Because the weightless water doesn't compress, it pushes the other water easily out of the way. So the ship just can go very, at very high speeds underwater. It's, it was something like that. Yeah. It, it, it's like creates its own atmosphere, basically. Well, for a distance around the ship, all the water is weightless. Yeah. And so as the ship pushes it, it's weightless as well. Okay. So yeah, I understand that in your time in the programs, you actually did visit visit Earth quite a bit, which is we did, and yeah. it was a secret to some of the public on series, as I was just reminded by talking to another whistleblower recently, which is something that I kind of was vaguely remember but didn't and we were careful about who we talked about you know i was even though i was a, basically a slave i wasn't even really an officer commissioned i didn't really have a rank but uh we were still expected to be quiet about going to earth about missions to earth because the the majority of the public on series was told that earth was destroyed was in uninhabited 1949 a cobalt bomb something like that yeah 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 
Um, and, uh, you know, I'd forgotten that. So I'd been reminded that's something that I was reminded of. But I remember that there were people and the, the reason that I confirmed this. So the memory that I have of that, that I confirmed that is I remember telling people about it and them always saying, well, at least thank you, because that gives, you know, other other people that were in my boat that were slaves like me that I told them that we but I went to Earth. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. We were just there last night. And there are people there and I lived on earth. Like it was totally, it was classified. And I remember people that I told that to were relieved, so relieved by it mm -hmm. that they were, oh, thank God, you know, that thank you for telling me that, even though I don't believe you. <laughs> that was what <laughs> kind of, that was really what it, what it was. I don't believe you, but thanks, you know, thanks for telling me that. It's still there, but it's mean by demons. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Diego Garcia, the island in the Indian Ocean, uh, is that place you visited? Right in there somewhere. We did. Yeah. So this would have been in 90, the late 90s, 97, 98, 99, right in, mm -hmm. in those years, that whenever we needed equipment, uh, military equipment or, or cargo, for, when they would arrange a trade with some other species that, that needed just goods, like raw goods, Mm -hmm. that was produced on the by the earth they we would go to diego garcia and pick it up that's where we picked up most of the of human made cargo earth earth made cargo we yeah. would pick it up there we would always go in the middle of the night there's a um a big like a parking lot size piece of um you know uh asphalt like a like a big square for the where the planes are we would land there and they would truck it out to us. And there was always two American officers. There'd be one that would coordinate the offload or loading it. And there was another one that had a clipboard that we would have to sign off. He was like, we like a, he gave us like a receipt for it. Yeah. And uh, we would go there and pick up cargo quite often. Primarily. I mean, there's an underground base. It's not just the Island, <clears> obviously <throat> that, that goes underground there too. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm not aware. I, I, there was a lot that went on there. I'm not aware of that. I, we went there. There was one occasion where we were waiting on a boat to arrive. And so we had a few hours layover. We went to the place. It's called Turto, Turtle Cove or Turtle Bay at the bottom of the island. And they said that the, there are certain times when I first when I first spoke about Diego Garcia in 2016, somebody commented on one of the YouTube. There was a guy that commented and he said, you know, BS, Tony. They never gave us a curfew. I was there for five years and we never had a curfew. We could always get it go where we are. And then a couple of years later, I, I found an article from somebody else that Diego Garcia frequently locks down the base in the middle of the night and you're not allowed to go anywhere. Yeah. And that's what I remember is when we were there, that there were only a handful of people that knew we existed, that the that we were there at all, and that they locked down the entire base. The entire island that every you know it was in the middle of the night 3 a.m that nobody was allowed to leave their their whatever their room for for a couple hours and that was when we were there so while we were waiting on that boat they extended the lockdown and we went to we we hovered over turtle cove and they let us we, we had a cargo net out of the main out of the rear cargo bay that we'd let down and we'd go swimming they let people go swimming in the you know in the water because we had time to kill it was like a recreational thing hmm. that they would yeah. let us do so you, you could have essentially visited Earth and ran into yourself because of how the 20 and back works, <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's what, so 
um, like you said, Tompkins said there's a pill or a procedure for, for AIDS regression. And I think that that's true. And I think that that's one of the things that may have happened. But I think that, I think that during that time, because events in my own life would kind of support this, you know what I mean? Uh, the life I lived would also support it. I think that there's a cloning aspect. I think that I was cloned yes. in 82. And I think right. that the when they clone you, it's a vegetable. It's a brain dead thing. And they have to use some of your they spark of life, quantum superfluid consciousness, your consciousness. And I think that they took it from me. And that's why they take only a certain pie slice of the population that gets this procedure, because you have to have a certain amount of awareness for, to, to, for them to do it. I think they took some of my consciousness and put it in the clone and the clone went and did that. And then at the end of 20 years, they put the clone back in time, which time travel. Time and space, space is time. Time travel is hard. To, it's a hard to talk to people about. It's and also hard to prove, right? Because there's so many. It's so complex to think about this. Not so much that. anymore, though. So many articles are coming out now about the possibility of time travel, and it, it's they're they're seeding the consciousness. They're getting their ducks in a row for some type of disclosure. So time travel was the was a very was a linchpin of the technology of the series colony. They were using time travel on the on the missions quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, uh, so the clone goes back in time and then they all they have to do is kill it. And my consciousness would find its way back to myself, Interesting. you know, or or however, however they did it. I don't you know, like I said, it was like having surgery. I don't know what they did. Yeah, well, I've heard it described. There's like a bed you actually lay in and they put I've heard different whistleblowers describe the procedure. I don't think they used a pill, but I think the pill is something that is, it was injections. I yeah. was getting injected every day. There were uh, and it was very. Um, uncomfortable that they put. I was held still. It was exactly like other people. I, I remember foam like uh, like a like a barrier around me to keep me from moving. And then every day they would come in and, and give me. I got injections in my legs and in my arms. Like they gave you a bunch of shots, and then that that went on for felt like a couple of weeks. Yeah. But there was a time in my life. So at that time, after the abduction, I went from being in the top five percent of the school one of the highest SAT scores in the school, basically a straight A's and B student to a D and E student ever after. And then later on in life, and I never really had any, I had breathtaking emotional problems. I had relationship problems. I couldn't buy a girlfriend with a million dollars because I was kind of a basket case my whole life that I grew up after that point, after 10 years old. Later on in the year 2000, which is 18 years later, but because the ship did temporal temporal flights, uh, you know, it would go out for a day and come back just a minute later before it left. So that time added up to 20 years. I did the math later. It checks out. Yeah. The year 2000, one day I woke up and I kept saying to myself, I just woke up out of bed and I said, it's over. It's over. I went, oh, my God, it's over. And I didn't know what I was talking about. I did not have my memories back. But I instantly got it together, cleaned up my room. I got I was emotionally stable. I started having healthy relationships. I started making more money. I got I got back together after it was over like that period of time it was as if my consciousness was watered down was watered down do you get what i mean like i was like a lesser person in mentally and i you know what i mean like i'm playing catch up in life because of it that makes ouch man it's out that makes so much sense actually it does make a lot of sense um, that was exactly the experience that was what my i experienced so that makes a lot of sense and 
Uh, one more thing, and then we'll wrap this first part up and give people a chance to digest all this stuff, and then we'll we'll come back with a second part. Um, but I, I, the one thing I love, uh, I've heard you say before, is that when you would visit or uh, you would hear a song be re-released because in the programs you would you would a song would be released on Earth and you would get a hold of it and listen to it. But then in your life now, when that song came out, it's like you're you've already heard it be released. It was super old, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So in Seattle during the parties, they would play their music all night long. We were yeah. parties. We were a, we were a booth. You know, to revisit that was an ugly thing to talk about, but those parties would go all night long till right till dawn. It started at like uh, 10 or 11 p.m. and it would go right till the sun came up and they would play music over and over like, uh, you know, they had a DJ. And I remember those songs. And so later on in life in the 80s, like I lived the 80s twice. So you heard Nirvana before? (laughs) Well, it wasn't Nirvana. It was like Led Zeppelin. Oh, okay. uh, Remember the song Take On Me by AHA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That came out that summer that we that my first party in Seattle that I went out and was that came out. I think it was '86. I'd have to look, okay. but it, that song had just came out at one of those during during the month of those parties was when it was released. So they played it over and over again. Everybody everybody ran to the dance floor when they played it, and that was then. And so when it came out again later in the '80s, when I came in my organic life, I went, "Whoa, this is an old song," and I. I literally was watching MTV when it was released, when it was new. You know what I mean? Like as a kid, and I was watching MTV, and I went, "What is this? I, what?" <laughs> and there were there were Aerosmith songs that were released in, in the '80s that I had heard that I'd already known. I was like, this is old. This thing's like 20 years old. Because you've heard them in the programs already. Yeah, I had already then, heard them, right? And then, and then, when then later on, back and relived your life, you heard them released again. And then later on, on the on the MVL, on the so what happened was on the Max von Lowy. The, our media officer was a, a a girl, pretty, very pretty girl, and she was the media officer. So she was the one that talked on the intercom, or she did media. For the, apparently, when they interact with other other civilizations, there's a media need for a media officer, you know, for who knows what they were doing. But she, one of the one of the American guys at um, Diego Garcia, gave her a like an iPod, or a, you know, a music player, an MP3 player. This is the late 90s, so whatever player, and it had songs on it, hundreds of songs, and those are banned. And the uh, media from Earth is banned up there. You're not supposed to listen to it, but it was bootleg. There was a bootleg uh, industry on the series colony where they were taking books and VHS movies and things from Earth and bootlegging them up there. Hmm, that's amazing. But he gave, gave her this, and the captain agreed. She figured out a way to get it to play over the intercom. Like it took her a few tries. She tried to do it, and it didn't work. And then, the, you know, a few days later, they came in and the captain said, because there was a signal on our all of our media has a signal on it. That's bad for you, basically, like a mm-hmm. mind, like a, a sub subliminal thing going on. I don't know exactly. Yeah. And uh, they would play one song a day that he gave one song a day. And it, we listened to music for about a month. We would be flying through space. And I'm not lying, listening to Led Zeppelin, <laughs> you know, nice. like flying through the solar system and it, it was yeah. cool. We we looked forward to it. Down. It was very cool because we didn't get me, you know, well, you know, the guys that were slave labor, we didn't have access to media at sure. all. So that was like a big deal to us. But what happened was the crew, the, the kids in the, and they were young, they were all young kids. The, the crew in the bridge fought over it. What song to play next? That some of them wanted to hear the same song we heard last week. I want to play that one again. And some of them <laughs> wanted to hear another one. And they got into heated arguments about it. And the captain 
made us made him play it. He's like, well, now you guys, since they want to fight about it, we're gonna learn my music. And he played polka. It was disgusting. It was terrible. It was horrible. <laughs> we were like, I'd rather not even hear it, you know. Like, and then they quit altogether. He got rid of it altogether. It was more trouble than it was worth. Well, Tony, this has been awesome. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break and we'll come back um, and get back into your testimony. Leave off where we left off on Mars and get into uh, the rest of it because it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, don't forget, we have our Hopewell Farm CBD available. The link is below. That promo code is over, but this stuff is really fantastic. Uh, it, it helps me sleep. Um, different it's the best CBD. It, it's potent. The THC is very high in it. Uh, it can't be shipped overseas because of it, but uh, if you're in the United States, I highly recommend it. And then uh, don't forget, we still have our 20% off on our T-shirts on Teespring with promo code Sleepy Joe, and we're going to let that run indefinitely until uh, he's out of the picture. So. Yeah. <laughs> um a couple weeks from now yeah well who knows what'll happen Maybe. honestly i, I, I <laughs> we'll could see. who knows what's gonna happen uh so guys thank you so much and uh stay tuned uh for part two in a uh, couple days uh see you next time people ask me about my tribe the truth is my tribe is relatively unknown for we are but a few we have walked many planes and graced infinite timelines. Our calling is eternal. Our homecoming, imminent. Paradigm shifters. The tireless truth seekers. The mighty light warriors. Earth's grid explorers. The curious crop circles. Mystical stargazers. The great one-liners. The astral travelers. Welcome home, starseeds.